As has already been mentioned, we're certainly delighted and thankful that God has showered upon us the blessings that have permitted us to come together today. And true enough, as we are gathered in this way, we're thankful that we can direct our service, our honor, and our worship unto the God of heaven. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. That beautiful refrain of Matthew 4, verse number 10. And so as we're gathered together today, we're going to look at a beatitude not found in Matthew. This one is one of them that's recorded for us within the pages of the gospel according to Luke. If you be turning to Luke 11, verses 27 and 28, though that was read in our hearing just a moment ago, we'll reflect upon that throughout the course of our time together for the next little while this morning. It would be fair to say that you and I are well aware of the blessing connected to the word beatitude. In fact, we're quite familiar with those found in the book of Matthew. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount begins in an amazing way in Matthew 5, verses 3 and following, with those beatitudes that you and I know and appreciate so well. But it's a bit interesting. The word beatitude literally means that which is happiness, that which is perfect blessedness. It's no wonder then that those beatitudes are rich and encouraging just to pick one of them. Isn't it true? We read, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And yet, as we reflect upon a book such as Luke, or even Revelation, or even Psalms, for you see, there are some other statements of the Bible which are at least worded in a way that make us think about a beatitude. Interestingly, there are seven beatitudes like that in Revelation. There are also seven like that in Psalms. But our interest today is in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Allow me to read that again, and then we will cast a spotlight upon its setting, and then draw several lessons to be connected with it and to it. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice, and said unto him, Blessed are the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You can well imagine that as that statement was made, you can appreciate the company or at least the multitude that may have been in presence to hear some of these things. This next slide then casts a spotlight on the setting. And it does so in the following form. This was a time in which the Lord was engaged in that ministry sometimes called the Perean ministry. Earlier in this 11th chapter of Luke, Jesus had cast a demon that was causing such a dramatic matter in the life, obviously, of the one who was suffering under it. Dumbness is what's described in verses 14 and following. But not only that, you and I recognize that as the Lord illustrated the power to cast out that demon... Not only was there a great transformation in the life of that one, but there came to be a discussion in which there were those that accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. That is to say, by the power of the one connected to the devil himself. Jesus, in a masterful way, taught about the nature of the prominence of serving the Lord, the foolishness of Satan working against himself, but it is in the light of all of that, and in that context, there was a large multitude, a throng around Jesus. And a woman in the group lifted up her voice. It would seem, from the way that's described, 
that she, in fact, spoke very loudly. And she said in verse number 27, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and furthermore, and the paps which thou hast sucked. Now, obviously, from a woman's perspective, no doubt much might have been crossing the mind of the lady, of the woman, as she made this statement. I would ask, as you give thought to it, though, notice several things that directly are connected to the idea. I've tried to divide them in the following way. First of all, as you consider some of the following matters in the setting, it would appear that the woman, maybe with excitement, maybe with an element of joy and exuberance, she's the one that made this pronouncement. Did you notice? She said it to Jesus. It was not generally spoken for the great benefit, it would seem, of the large multitude. But blessed is the womb that bear you. In addition to that, notice what I've asked you to consider on the slide. Jesus, not only hearing this, He made an immediate response. It's the one that was read in our hearing in the reading of verse 28. But He said that He's Jesus. But He said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. As you close that slide with me, it's somewhat interesting. The Greek text does not have the word yea in it, but our English translators have felt, at least in some cases, that that might be a useful thing to note. But if you read it without that, Jesus responded, Rather, blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. It's also interesting to observe that that Greek word that is even presented as rather can also be highlighted as an element of contrariness, on the contrary in other words. However one looks at that, the features are, are clear enough, and they are certainly worthy of these following remarks. I would think it's not even a matter up for debate. The woman, the lady who made this ex exclamation, she intended to highly compliment to greatly bestow favor and blessing upon Jesus and His mother by virtue of this statement. Doesn't it remind each of us about the feature of throughout the Word of God, how vital it is to honor one's parents. Now this woman whose name is not even given, she made this assertion, and you and I could readily pause and make note of our own station in life. The Old and New Testaments teach so strongly about honoring one's parents. It is a fascinating thing to recall that text in Exodus 20, as well as its reiteration in Deuteronomy 5, and the New Testament quotation of it in Ephesians 6. Honor thy father and thy mother. You and I realize our parents, of course, have done much for us in terms of giving us life and making provision for us. And the Bible teaches that, of course, we have an interest in them and a desire to honor them appropriately. You and I know the Lord did that, didn't He? Even though Joseph was not his actual father, God was, of course, we do remember that Jesus in Luke chapter 2 gave us that impressive example. He was subject unto them, Luke 2 verses 49 to 51. In so doing, the Lord taught us that dramatic example of submission to our parents, honoring them appropriately. I've asked you to notice on that slide that as this woman made this remark, 
I'm sure that from a female perspective, she then had a great deal of consideration to the kind of person that Jesus was. That is to say, you must make your mama proud by the kind of life you're choosing to live, the kind of blessing that you are to others, and the kind of way that you conduct and behave yourself. And all that is is certainly something to note. But you'll notice that Jesus wasn't merely satisfactory in terms of making the statement she had made. He went a step further, and it brings us to point number two. Did you notice the Lord did not echo her sentiment as it related to the honoring of Mary? He didn't do it. You and I know He said something far different. Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. What do we think a minute then about Mary? Isn't it self-evident from the teaching of the Bible at least? Mary's not to be worshipped. It was not the intent and the plan of God that Mary be the one that's worshipped. The reason I say that, of course, is there are some of those on earth today who apparently feel differently, who feel as if Mary is quite worthy of worship and quite worthy of rather significant honor. We'll have more to say about that shortly. But on this slide before you, couldn't we pause long enough to say this? In Genesis 3 verse 15, the amazing God of heaven made the statement there that the seed of woman was going to be the one that would crush or bruise the head of the serpent. And it's interesting from that point forward, no doubt, many a Jewish woman desired that she'd be the one that would be blessed to bring into the world the Messiah the one that would be the blessing from God who could be the tremendous one of consideration for all the human family. In fact, it would seem from Ruth chapter 4 that that idea was clearly in the mind of many women desirous that they could be in the very lineage of the Son of God. But on that slide before you, you notice, of course, that the God of heaven selected Mary. She was the chosen one to bring the Christ child into the world. You and I know quite well that as the book of Luke, as well as Matthew, give us some details about that, that she in great humility and in great consideration honored the fact of the choice of God in that matter. Let it be so according to thy word, Luke 1, verses 31 to 35. But may I point out in that light, that we could make this statement, if Mary was to be worshipped, if Mary was to hold a position of honor consistent with the nature of Jesus Himself, surely this verse would have been the one wherein we might have found that teaching. This woman who pronounced, Blessed is the one, the womb that, that bore you, Jesus. This would have been the ideal time for some truth connected to that to have been taught. And yet it's not to be found here. You might notice in consideration of that, let's develop that a little more thoroughly this way. There are several religious groups of which Mary and the teaching concerning her occupy a central place. You and I know the Roman Catholic Church is one of them, but by no means the only one. There are groups who teach several things I have, in fact, invited you to note on that slide. There are those who pray to Mary. Not only that, there are others, again along that line, who will call her the mother of God. 
in addition to that. They will refer to her, as you'll notice on the slide, as the mother of the church. There were those who claim she has a specific and crucial role in the salvation of people. There's a rather large set of doctrine connected to this. It's called Mariology. One last thing on that slide, on that listing at least, is this. A rather fancy name is sometimes directed her way. She's called a mediatrix, otherwise a co-redemptrix. May I say to you that those kind of names, though fancy they may be, they merely describe her on an equal footing in many ways with Jesus Himself. And in so doing, those who will exalt Mary to that kind of a position and place her on a pedestal such as that are certainly in a position to, I hope, think with clarity about the nature of the Bible's teaching concerning her. Was it God's intent that she be worshipped? Was it God's intent that she be reckoned as a superior person in regard to the church? Was it the will of God that Mary be honored and exalted in such a way that she be perceived equal to Jesus? Maybe all of that's worthy of what you see at the bottom of that slide. Jesus Himself would say this. You may recall in John chapter 2 when Mary made the statement, Whatever He says to you, do it. Now that was on the occasion that the Lord turned water into wine. But Mary there understood something. Would you place yourself into the position of understanding as Mary no doubt must have? Mary knew that she had never been with a man when she became pregnant with Jesus. She knew it. She knew she'd never been with Joseph. She knew she'd never been with any other man. And therefore, when she became pregnant, of all people on earth, she had to know that this birth, this pregnancy, was of God. That's exactly what had to have been detailed to her. And in Luke 1, it's what was said to her, Behold, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and that holy thing which is in thee shall be of God. Of all people on earth, Mary would have known. You and I thus ought to appreciate then what she said. And we ought to understand the nature of what feeling she must have had concerning that which was born of her. Looking further on that slide, Jesus later would say this, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Mary is not to be worshipped. As you and I no doubt would appreciate the care, the protective nature that she gave to Jesus in those early years of His life, she wasn't God in the flesh. She is not to be worshipped, neither then nor now. Not only that, you may note one more thing about the statement before us. I've asked you to highlight it on that slide. Jesus on this occasion, though the woman no doubt may have meant great compliment by it, Jesus didn't come out and endorse the affirmation of what she said. Blessed be the womb that bare thee, and the breast which gave thee suck, this would have been the time to place the adoration of Mary, but the Lord didn't do it. He said, on the contrary, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Isn't it interesting in light of the Lord's statement on this occasion that we find later on in the book of Revelation 
in fact, in the closing chapter in all the Bible. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, a statement is therein made. You recall the scene with me. John had just been privileged to see so many miraculous and amazing things presented to him. Visions and otherwise about the stature and nature of things, sometimes at the last day. John was overwhelmed. He fell down and prepared to worship the angel that delivered these things. And the angel said, don't do it. You worship God. Even an angel is not to be worshipped. Even an angel understood his place and his nature as one not equal to God. May you and I be quick to say that those of our world who would worship Mary do greatly err. They make a very sad choice of misunderstanding relative to the teaching of the Word of God. One final thought on that slide. Did you notice that Mary by some is called a mediatrix? That's a fancy word that involves a mediator. May you and I never forget that in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, there's one mediator between God and man. One, and it's not Mary. It's Jesus Christ. You and I are privileged and blessed and honored to have one who serves as our mediator, who could carry our petitions and cares, and who could serve to aid us in presence before God. But it is not Mary. Mary, you see, was human. She wasn't divine. But Jesus Christ took upon Himself the form of flesh, though He was God. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. And in so doing, He can identify with you and me. He can appreciate our station and our place. And He can carry our concerns, of course, before the God of heaven. What about number three? In addition to these thoughts, isn't it something that you can at least make this observation with me in passing? The link to God is not, you see, based primarily today on physical matters. We've already learned how appropriate it is to honor our father and our mother, our parents, as the Word of God would encourage of us. But might we say this, the faithfulness of your parents and mine will not mean that you and I will be faithful. Our link to God does not primarily run through them. Jesus taught that here, didn't He? On the contrary, blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. As you close that particular slide with me, this premise that some, of course, have often wished to rest upon, that my daddy did it this way, and my grandpa did it this way, and my blessed grandma did it like this, and that's good enough for me. May you and I never forget, grandma might have been mistaken. She herself may have, in fact, so strongly urged the words, don't do it this way just because I did it. You and I need to appreciate the Word of God stands, and it does so until the end of time. 1 Peter 1.25 continues to say that the Word of God endures. Didn't Jesus say it like this in Matthew 24.35? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word will not. What will make you or I complete and mature before God is in here. It's not our last name. No doubt many of us are thankful to our parents and other elements of our family and the heritage that's ours. But by far at the last day, that day of judgment, what your last name is and mine won't mean much. 
All that will matter is, are we a faithful Christian? That name that's presented before us in Acts eleven twenty six, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And when the sheep are divided from the goats in Matthew 25, on that day of judgment, will you and I be among the sheep or among the goats? That's all that's going to matter. That's all that will occupy a prime position that day. Isn't it true that one of the things said about that rich man in Luke 16 was this? Though in life he had enjoyed the riches that this world offered, and he had appreciated the nature of the luxuries that came with it. Isn't it interesting to reflect upon this thought? One of the last statements he ever made was this. Please send somebody to tell I've got five brothers. I don't want them to come here. May I say to you that your dear departed grandma and mine as well, if she's in a place of torment, she would give everything she's got that you don't come where she is. Our ties to family, sometimes this side of death, are far stronger than are that side. We give much more credence to sometimes what grandma or grandpa or someone else may have taught when all they would wish for us, if they're currently lost, is that we won't make the same mistake they made. How earnest is it to see in a passage like this one the connection to the Word of God and to keeping it. As you and I come to the last part of the lesson, then it'll be this one. Let's develop that more carefully. Jesus Himself put it like this. Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. The hearing of the Word of God Jesus began by giving an emphasis to that beautiful element and action. May you and I never lose sight of the honor and the blessing of hearing the Word of God. Earlier today in our prayer it was shared, the honor and the privilege this hour is to hear it. May we never forget there are multiplied thousands on this earth that give virtually anything they've got to hold the Bible that you do in a language that they can read. So many people don't have them. Brother Ron Gilbert, the gentleman we support who goes to Africa, they ship thousands of Bibles every year over there because the people would love to have one, and they don't. How thankful are we that we have it in such ease, that we can open it, ponder it, meditate upon it, and hear it. And we can assemble at times and places like this one, wherein an emphasis is given to its truth, its accuracy, and its nature. Blessed are they that hear the Word of God. You and I know that at various times in the history of mankind, that has rested upon only the capability of those who are able to hear by virtue of preaching. They didn't have a written text. Today, aren't we honored and blessed to have a written Bible, the Word of God? But Jesus went even further than that as He noted, and keep it. It's one thing to hear the Word of God, and one could hear it and easily be lost. Because what's contained in it must make a difference in your life and mine. Do I implement it? Do I put it into practice, and do I put it into action, and do I do allow it to change the way that I think, the way that I talk, the actions that I undergo? Blessed are they to hear the Word of God and keep it. Those last two words then are so significant, aren't they? 
Doesn't it remind us somewhat of what James would teach later? In James 1 verse 22, a blessing again there pronounced upon those who don't just hear it, but do it. Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. I would submit that that's one thing that you and I could be tempted to do. I've heard it. Maybe we begin to think that's enough. Maybe we come to think that's adequate or sufficient when that's never been satisfactory. Doers of the Word, not hearers only. And Jesus said, those who not only hear it, but keep it. Do you and I feel honored to be motivated to, in fact, keep the Word of God? To not just allow its thoughts to be rest upon our heart as we've heard it, but does it change the way we act tomorrow? If we're at school, in the midst of our co-workers, the choices that we're going to make even tonight, will I be back here at the 5.30 hour as the Lord would wish me to be? And what about Wednesday night? Will I be here as He would desire that I be? Those are good questions. Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. The keeping of the Word of God is certainly a very tantamount matter, at least in a text like this one. As you close that slide with me, you notice that this element reappears in so many other places. In Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. You can imagine the scene in which there were those so greatly persecuted and so greatly tempted to not hold true to that which was the Word of God. And yet, the Hebrew writer would say, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say those that thought they knew him those that perceived that they had heard and sat through various expositions of the Word, it's those that obeyed Him were the ones that experienced eternal life. The sojourn that you and I enjoy upon life is truly a time in which we have the privilege of hearing the Word of God and coming to keep it. The last point on that slide then is this one. Jesus otherwise taught this in a rather different way. And it's probably the most memorable way. I suspect it would rather quickly come to your mind if I begin to read it. It was in the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, near the close of that famous lesson. In Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24, Jesus put it in words like this, Therefore, I suppose you and I fail sometimes to give the emphasis to that word therefore that we might. That means this is built upon and amplifies that which preceded it. And he had just talked about how that those who were right before God are not merely those who supposed that they were. But then in that light he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
that famous presentation, there was a wise man, and you and I know that in the description of the wise man, the Lord identifies who this was. It was the person who hears the sayings of the Lord and does them. The very thing spoken of in the text before us today. Isn't it amazing that in the course of that description, though, Jesus didn't just stop there. He said that in verse 25, the rain descended. He also said that the floods came. He pointed out that the winds blew and they beat upon that house. Might you and I give thought, a life that is founded upon the obedience to the Word of God is a life that's strong. It is a life that can weather whatever onslaughts are presented against it. Couched in the language of floods and winds and rain. You and I know the Bible sometimes says rain's a great blessing, and it is, Acts 14, 17. But there are times it can be at least representative of the terrors, the tragedies, the temptations, the difficulties, the hardships and challenges of life. When those come, and they will, that life that's built upon the Lord and faithful obedience to Him will endure, it will triumph, and it will emerge victorious. But on the other hand, that person who may have heard the Word of God but didn't do it is said to be a fool. And not only that, when those same challenges come to that person's life, the house is going to fall. Perhaps with a primary emphasis and thought about ultimately that final great day, it's going to fall. How tragic. I would submit that it may well be that among the saddest of those on the day of judgment will be those who heard the word and thus knew what to do but never did it. They knew salvation through Jesus was available. They knew the unity of the church. They knew the purity of life in Christ, but they never did anything about it. And finally their eyes closed in death, only to find themselves right where the rich man now is. Tormented, awaiting a worse fate at the day of judgment, knowing all the while it didn't have to be this way. Knowing all the while... I had every opportunity, and I chose to do nothing about it. For all eternity to have thoughts like that cross your mind surely must be a worse terror than the flames in many ways that you'll be experiencing. Anyone that's in that condition. In this text before us today, we have given some thought to these four points, and a conclusion is in order. Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. It seems like such a simple statement, doesn't it? But yet how much is involved? What blessings are there? What rewards to the faithful? And yet, what obligation rests with each of us? Have you heard the Word of God and kept it? If you have, may you continue that line of life and blessing and rest assured that the wisdom and the honor that comes with that will be a great eternal reward. If you have heard the Word of God but have not kept it, why not make a change today? The Lord pleads with you. He begs you. He implores for you. He died for you. The thing He wants is for you to love Him, to obey Him, to serve Him. Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. 
That's where your life upon this earth will be the most abundant, John 10, verse 10. And it's where eternal life for you will be beyond description. Today, if we could be of some assistance and help, might we note this? If you've never become a Christian, never known what it's like to wear the name Christian, you could know that today before you leave this, this particular building. Realize the Lord's death is what made all of that possible. Won't you believe in Jesus? He is the Messiah. He died for you. He shed His blood for you. He took your place on, on the cross. He wants you to follow Him. Repent of your sins. They are what has separated you from God. Come back to your statement of knowing what it is that, that the Lord has done for you. As you do that, confess His great name and be baptized. What a joyous day of celebration. If you have known the way of walking as a Christian at some point in your life, and you've made choices that have brought great reproach upon Jesus' name, they have separated you from the faithfulness that you once knew, they've brought upon you a sentence of being lost because you are no longer keeping the Word of God. That's not the Lord's fault. You made some poor choices. You made some sinful choices. Why not come back? You can repent of them. There's not anything in life of which you cannot repent. Repent of it and come back to your first love. First John chapter 1 highlights the sweetness and the blessing that goes with that choice. We'd be honored to, in fact, encourage you today by praying on your behalf, acknowledging your, your repentance and your confession. Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. If we could be of assistance to help you do that, we'd love to do it now while together we stand and while we sing.